0: Welcome to Headlines, this is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lechtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about getting over our fears, fears, concerns, anxieties. I'm nervous, I'm stressed. Very broad topic, too much to cover in one podcast. We'll focus on a few specific areas, for example, dating, fears in dating, fears in marriage, social stigmas religious practice, repreting Kriya Shema over and over because I'm concerned I didn't have the proper kavanah, fears of failure, and more. We'll talk about what are the most common fears that people have, how do we get over those fears, we'll talk about anxiety, OCD, can they be a tour from doing mitzvahs, we'll also talk about is it permitted to take experimental or homeopathic or Chinese medication treatments, and we'll cover so much more. On today's podcast, joining us today we have four unbelievable guests, but it's going to be somewhat of a different format than usual. We're going to be dividing the show into two halves, and the first half is going to be focused on primarily halacha, and joining that discussion is going to be Rabbi Yitzhak Schwartz. Rabbi Schwartz is a posek, he's a rav, he's a musmach of Rav Scheinberg's atzal, he learned in his kolo for 15 years and was actually the mashkiach ruchani of Rav Scheinberg's yeshiva. He gets a lot. Numerous questions on mental health. So that is going to be the first segment. But also together, and this was by request by Rabbi Schwartz, and it's such a a lesson to learn from, he said so many times when we have mental health questions, we need input from the mental health professionals. Accordingly, joining in the first segment, the halachic segment, is going to be Dr. Jacob Friedman. He is the noted psychiatrist, speaker, author, and so much more. So they're going to. Team and answering the questions that I post to them. So that's going to be the first m- segment of the show. And the second half is going to be three healthcare professionals together talking about. Dealing with fears in dating and marriage, religious observance, etc., etc. Dr. Jacob Freeman is going to continue in the second segment. And we are going to be joined as well by Rabbi Avraham Willig. He is a Rav. He's a lecturer and psychotherapist. His specialty is in dating and marriage. And we'll also be joined by Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein. He's a psychologist. He's an author of a great book called Living in the Presence. It's all about mindfulness. And we will have a... Literally a a discussion around the table. We did this in person talking about various aspects of our topic today. Just before we get to Dvartor that relates to our topic, I said something over in Shul and somebody said, You know, you need to say that on headlines. Everyone needs to hear that. So, accordingly, I'm going to say this as well. A thing that is very important that we remember we are not talking about the war today. And it is not, as I said on last show, it is not that it is not on my mind and it should be on everyone's minds. I am sure that it is. But what can happen now that we are into this a number of months, four months, going on the fifth month, it can. Can become, and that's human nature, routine. It could be something that we get acclimated to, we get accustomed to, and it's not at the forefront of our concerns. And this can happen. I heard a, a rub that was speaking about this that somebody could treat it like anything else. You open up the newspaper and you want to check the weather and you want to check the stocks quotes. We don't do that in the newspaper anymore. You want to check the weather, you want to check this, you want to check that. What's going on with the war in Ukraine? What's going on with the war in Israel? How many people, Rachman Alitslan, have been hurt? That cannot be our approach. What is going on in Eretz Yisrael, the Chayalim, those who are in captivity, those who have been injured, they have to be first and foremost in our Tfilas, they have to be first and foremost in our davening, it is absolutely critical that when we say Tehillim at the end of davening, it should be with Kavana. It cannot be that it becomes routine, as if it's part of the davening. I've gone through the davening. Let's say the Tehillim. Let's say it quickly. Let me get out of here. I got somewhere to go. No, that cannot be the case. In fact, in Shul where I daven, we changed it up. We changed it to Hilam at the end, so people could realize it's a small change but a large change. And the concept here is it should not be routine. Let's change the Tehillim at the end. Let's change it in and out. Makes Make regular changes. We're continuing to pull the chauffeur, but only on Monday and Thursday, not every day, so it does not become routine. So that is so, so important. Just when it comes to uh, talking about fears, fears, if you look up, there are lists of fears, there are rankings of fears, there are surveys that are done, and I looked up a number of surveys. Fascinating they do differ dramatically. There's one that I found. It says, fear of the unknown is universal, but it seems to take form most commonly in three basic human fundamental fears. And these are the three according to this list. Number one, fear of death. Number two, fear of abandonment. And number three, fear of failure. There was another list. These are the top 10 fears of 2023, they asked a lot of people, and it came out as follows. People who responded, Americans who were surveyed, they reported being afraid, or very afraid. Corrupt government officials, 60% said they were very afraid. Economic financial collapse, Russia using nuclear weapons, people I love becoming seriously ill, people I love passing away. Not having enough money for the future, our fears come in so many ways. Another list, here are the five most common fears, and they're different, of course. The fear of tight spaces, the fear of judgment or rejection, that's social phobia. The fear of spiders, the fear of heights, the fear of open or crowded spaces. So fears, concerns, anxieties. They come in all shapes and sizes and everyone is going to be different. Everyone is going to have different fears and different percentages of their fears are going to be based on this and based on that. Everyone is different in this regard, but everyone does have fears, does have concerns, to have, to have anxieties and that is the subject of our topic today Parsha's Truma it says as follows Akkadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu we are going to be building the Mishkan you are responsible you're in charge and it says as follows the famous Pasuk Vasuli Mikdash Veshachanti this is the Tzivoy make for me a Mikdash talking about the Mishkan and I will descend I will dwell among them I will dwell among you and the next Pasuk seems to say the same thing Cetera. Build a mishkan. And that's what you should do. It seems that it is a Sivuy again. You have to build a mishkan. You have to build a mishkan. The first Pasuk, it says Vasuli Mikdash. And then right afterward, it says Vachain Double obligation. This is addressed by the base Yosef and his Drashas. And he says as follows. In fact, the first one where it says Vasuli Mikdash. Make for the the Mishkan. That is an obligation. However, something else is going on with the second time when it's says Ve That is not an obligation. That is Avtacha. That is a promise by a Baruch What's going on here? So he quotes the Medrash. It's a Medrash in Bamidbar Rabbah, that says that Moshe Rabbeinu he had a difficult time understanding the building of the Mishkan. How is it going to all come together? How is everything going to fit? And it was difficult. I, I don't know what to do with this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He, and he, he had a difficult time comprehending. That's a fear. That's a nervousness. That's a stress. How are we going to pull this all together? Is it going to really work? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Moshe Rabbeinu, don't worry. Don't be concerned. Taz said, Vigam Tuchal, do it you will be successful. I am telling you, I am giving you my haftacha, kain tasu. It will come together, it will work, you will be successful. So for the first time was the tivoy vahasuli mikdash, and the second time, Moshe Rabbeinu, if you do this, vahayin tasu have have faith, have no fear, don't be concerned, everything will work out. And in fact, we can say the same thing applies to each and every Jew, we have an obligation, we have an opportunity, we have a mitzvah to be mekayim the Torah, we have mitzvahs, we have to learn, we have to understand. the We need to also have bitachon. If we do, we will be successful. We have to have that bitachon. Sometimes there are worries, there are fears, and the fears can oftentimes get in the way. We have anxieties, we're nervous, we're stressed. And we see from this, it's okay to be stressed sometimes, unless it's unhealthy, Anxiety is fears. But at the end of the day, move forward. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's difficult, it may be challenging, you may have fears. Move forward, v'chein Tasu, I will be with you. This is a haftacha to you, and so to all of us. We have to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with us. We have to have bitachon. When we move forward, we will be accompanied by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. My sincere hope that by having this topic today, we will be able to come to grips with some of our fears, some of our concerns and anxieties, and hopefully it will give us some methods of dealing with them. And Mir Shem, Hashem, this should be a continuing topic that we should have. If people want us to go on a little bit more in-depth or a lot more in-depth in any areas that we did not cover, please let us know. It's a fascinating topic. Just again, at the way end of the show... We will have a recap, lessons learned, takeaways that we can also hopefully incorporate into our lives. Before we go to our guests, let's have the riddle of the week. Our riddle of the week comes from Karshas Mishpatim, the famous Pasuk Urapal Yeropeh. That we have healing as part of the process of when you cause somebody damages, there, you have to pay for the healing. That's neither here nor there for a riddle. The focus is going to be urepo This is a pay, not a fe. A pay, not a fe. There is a dagesh. There is a dot in the pay urepo And the question is, why here in our pasuk is it a pay, not a fei? And in contrast, in Yirmiyahu Perik yudzayin. Pesuk Yudalit, it says Rifaini Hashem va'arafeh. That is Rifaeni. It's a fe. Va'arafeh is a fe and not a pay. So why here in our parsha, parsha's name is it pays, and in Yirmiyahu is fees, not pays? That is a hard riddle accordingly i'll give another one hopefully a little bit easier i'm not sure it's easier but we'll see from the responses get your responses in we do post the responses on the website a number of people have asked we have these riddles but we don't give the responses we do post the responses on the website so this is the second one we're going to move forward to Parshas Truma for this one, the Pasuk we were talking about, li and the question is, where in this Pasuk do we have a Remez for how long the Bayis Rishon and also, I guess it's two parts, this one, and also how long the Bayis Sheni were standing. So we have a Remez in this Pasuk somewhere for both of those, how long the two bate Mikdash were standing until their unfortunate destruction.
1: If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700.
2: In England, it's 44, I think that's the country code, three three zero one one seven zero two five zero. 70250 In Eretz it's uh, 02372-0304.
0: And now let's go and hear from our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Yitzhak Schwartz. Rabbi Schwartz is the Rav of Kila Kedosha, Birka Shmuel Chaim. It's a community in Givat Ze'ev Eretz Yisrael. He spent 15 years in the Kolol of Yeshiva Torah Or and was a close Talmud of Rabbi Chaim Pincha Scheinberg Zatzal, Hasmicha from Rabbi Scheinberg as well, and he was appointed by Rabbi Scheinberg to be the Mashkiach ruchani of Torah Or, which he spent a number of years doing it. At this point, Rabbi Schwartz wears a number of hats, one of which is speaking on behalf and poskening shilas for Kesher, Nafshi that deals with youth who are having challenges and parents who are having challenges with their challenged youth, and also very heavy, a lot of Shailahs in mental health.
3: Rabbi Schwartz, thank you so much for joining us. I usually say it's my pleasure, but these are always such sensitive, painful issues that I'm happy if I can help. Thank you so much. Now,
0: also joining us, and this was interesting, by request of Rabbi Schwartz, we also have Dr. Jacob Friedman here because Rabbi Schwartz told me when it comes to mental health shilos, you oftentimes need input from a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and for a posek, a posek can know the halacha, but the application of that halacha, it is so ind- dependent on the mental health and psychological psychiatric aspects of what is going on. As an an assistant role, we have Dr. Friedman here as well. But Dr. Friedman, we are going to continue with you with the second segment. So this is uh, your cameo appearance here for for a bit, but we'll certainly hear a lot more from you when we have the roundtable with the uh, psychotherapist. So thank you so much for joining us as well. Uh, A pleasure to be back in a big zuchus to be sitting next to uh, my Rav, Rav Schwartz. Thank you so much. So why don't we start out with a very fundamental basic question, mental health. Is it a mitzvah or maybe is it a chiyuv to seek medical treatment if somebody feels that they're in need or people are telling them you don't seem to be okay, something seems to be off. Are we obligated to go take care of our health, like in the physical way, mental health as well? A parent tells you, a friend tells you they're concerned, what's the obligation or is there no obligation?
3: Well, it's no different than any other disease as uh, Dr. Friedman once informed me from his illustrious background at Harvard, that uh, mental illness, people are a little bit afraid to say it, but it's the disease of the brain. And just if a person, God forbid, had a tumor or something in his brain, would he think that maybe I shouldn't go to a doctor? So his his neurology is, is off. If his brain chemistry is off, he's ill in his brain. So if you don't function all the time like the Ramban says, where if you're big, you don't have to go to a doctor, if you're like the rest of us who go to doctors for our health. So you certainly have to go to a doctor who's qualified to deal with brain disease. There's no difference. And this is one of the biggest problems in mental health is the uh, old idea of mental illness or emotional disorders, that it's just something wrong with the way they think. And, you know, just I can straighten him out just by explaining it to him, and it's not true. If somebody has emphysema, he has lung disease, and he's a little bit tense, you can't tell him just take a deep breath and relax. So a person who has emotional disease, who has brain disease, post-trauma, or severe depression, the says in that melancholy, ruach, 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 a nirda from a ruach, is talking about mental disease. It's talking about, Melancholy, he calls it. So, are we saying and that? he calls it a cholish yesh so It's a cholish
0: So, are we saying though that mental illness is actually like is physical illness, and it would fall under exactly? Martimo, not, yeah,
3: we're not saying it, but if a pr- we're not only saying it, but we have proof to it in f- both from the doctors, which I like, uh, Doctor Friedman, if he could to fill fill this fill, this, fill us fill us in. Absolutely, fill us in on this uh, t- topic. But uh, I just want to make one more, uh, you know, point here that Times of Chazal, they didn't have laboratories. They didn't have blood tests. They diagnosed people based on their symptoms. And they, this is called the And I think something, in some way, we've become too scientific, too square, if I could say, about how we look at disease. And the Allah we find this. let's say, on Yom Kippur, a hundred doctors, a thousand doctors tell the person, you don't need to eat. And the choyle says, I do. So that we pass him, he gets to eat, he has to eat, because choyle yodea moras nafshay. There's something eternal in the person that the doctor outside cannot know. And if you did a thousand blood tests to him, you can't know. Today, bor Hashem, we know things about mental health that they never knew before. So the, the Yishalmi says, it's a, a very interesting Yishalmi which uh, I think it says it all. So Yishalmi in Shabbos perk, the Yadal, halachal gimel. Rabbi Khuna vatanilo beshemel, Rabbi Elozer, bin Yaakov. There's a posuk in, the, in Dvorim, perk zion, posuk tezvov, ve heisa, ha shemim chok, kol choili. Great, great, call kol. call choili. Why kol choili? Heisaim What's kol Gemara says, Zu Rayon. Kolkholi includes RAYON Mental illness. <laughs> Emotional illness. Doma Rebelezer Venosan Old Barzil Alzavareho Ze Rayon. I was Makabu for my rebbe of Shambhari Kosaboha that this is this is what this is the klola in the Torah of uh, of old Barzil. Old Barzil, mentions that in our generation we have so much mental illness. This is from this code. But Alko Panim, Yushami explicitly says, call choili, it's a choili. It's not just behavioral, it's a choili. That's amazing.
0: So, Dr. Freeman, walked us through mental illness being physical illness. What does that mean? If, if you give us some examples
4: as well, that would be very helpful. Sure, ab- absolutely. Um, I, th- I think we have to be aware that historically uh, there's been a false dichotomy between psychology and psychiatry, between uh, further uh, psychiatry and neurology. And uh, there's this idea that a person who's acting out of control uh, needs to Uh, Think about uh, what they're doing and then uh, with a bit of insight change their behaviors. Now, this is certainly the case uh, in specific situations, but when we're really talking about mental illness, we're talking about brain disease. Uh Specifically, when a person has motor symptoms or sensory symptoms, for example, a person has Parkinson's and their handshakes, or a person had had a stroke, and now they can't see out of their left eye they would see a neurologist. But when a person has behavioral symptoms, meaning they're afraid to uh, be in a situation that reminds them of a traumatic experience, or they have behavioral symptoms, or due to a depression, it's hard for them to get out of bed and be a functional adult, uh, they end up seeing a psychiatrist. However, all of these uh, issues, whether again, it's stroke or Parkinson's, depression, or PTSD, the organ system that is affected is the brain and while it's not for the diagnosis of mental illness in the vast majority of cases, when we look at healthy brains of people who don't have uh, anxiety disorders, people who don't have schizophrenia, who don't have bipolar disorder, uh, we do scans and we see that those brains are different than the brains of people with serious mental illness. There are different areas of the brains that are inappropriately lit up and overactive. There are other areas of the brain that aren't working with the same vitality that we'd expect in somebody who's not suffering from mental illness. And from this, it clearly shows that the brains of people who are struggling with mental illness are different from the brains of people who are not. And I would add one very important uh, nafkamena to this. When people have gotten high-quality, evidence-based psychotherapy treatments, when people have taken medications for their mental illness and it's working, the brains start to look normal again, when rescan things change things change in the brain psychiatric treatment when done right for the right patient who is engaged in their treatment of course uh, big plug here for the supportive families to ensure that that happens when people are able to heal their brains heal fascinating
0: fascinating so rabbit Rabbi, Rabbi so let's go back to you when does that obligation kick in? If somebody says you're just not okay, am I obligated to go to a psychiatrist,
3: or Absolute, psychologist? Absolutely. It's it's Pikuch Nefesh. <laughs> the Rambam in Pirsham Mishnahis, and it's Nifzach in Shochonach, in Shabbos, the Rabbim Pirsham in Shabbos, Perg Mishnah Mishnahei, says that uh, any type of choyli, ruach ra, what the Mishnah calls ruach ra, koim lakom meneh uh, choyli, anikva ba'arvi melancholy. Melancholy is what the Mishnah calls Ruach if you look at that Rambam, many wants to look it up on his, on his own, it describes exactly the type of behavior, disassociation, wanting to be left alone in their rooms, people who are uh, you know, isolating in the rooms. These kids who are qu- quite often who are post-trauma, they, they isolate in the rooms for, for days, months, even sometimes for years. And, and the Rambam describes these symptoms exactly. And he, and he calls it, this is called a like other choyle of sakonis nefoshis. So any mental disease is potentially sakonis nefoshis. So just like we're mokhoyev to take care of our own lives or to save somebody else's life, if you're in a position to help somebody else get over or deal with his mental disease, it's bikoch nefesh. So it can quickly accelerate, and this so I'd like to understand from Dr. Uh, from what seems to be something not so like, say, OCD. I've had cases where kids were OCD, and within a short amount of time, they can become so depressed, they become suicidal.
4: From OCD? Yes. So this is a very important thought, which is uh, that the longer a person waits to get treatment the more intensive the treatment needs to be. That's the case with high blood pressure. That's the case with Crohn's disease. And that's also the case with mental illness. There's a few reasons for this. One is, is that neurologically there's more dysfunctioning happening. The other reason though is uh, more psychosocial, that if a Bacher has been depressed and has been not showing up for Seder for a little while. As it gets worse and worse, he'll lose his chavrusas, and then he'll feel embarrassed to go to the yeshiva when he doesn't have a chavrusa, if he is feeling better on that day. And then he might want to drop out of yeshiva, and he's right that people will be wondering, what happened to Yussi, What happened to Ruvi. It snowballs. And so the embarrassment, the shame, and now the stigma, if people know what's going on, can be horrifying and can really make it infinitely more difficult to not only uh, treat the... The underlying issue. ...underlying issue that the patient is facing, but also to get them back in the mode of being a functional human being. So I really encourage people, please, before you need to come to my office, start making the preventative lifestyle changes that need to happen. Before you need to think about medication in many cases, think about going to a therapy that's going to start moving you in the right direction. By the time patients need a psychiatric hospitalization, there were so many points of intervention that could have happened before then.
0: Oh, well said. So Rabbi Schwartz, we are talking specifically at today's show on anxiety fears, but obviously we're talking broader now. If a therapist or psychiatrist gives a diagnosis, for example, anxiety, depression, and says medication is necessary. I don't know if there's a difference between recommended or necessary. Maybe we should talk about that. Does the patient have to take that medication or can they say, for example, I'm concerned about the side effects And because of the side effects, concerns, I don't want to take a risk. Or I'm concerned about shiduchim. And accordingly, I don't want to have to disclose if there's an obligation to disclose. I don't want to be one of those people that has something that has that obligation to disclose. So are those, A, is is there an obligation to take the medication if the doctor prescribes it? And B, do we have exemptions for purposes of concerns of side effects, concerns of shiduchim and the like?
3: Well, you know, it's... (laughs) Mental disease, I think that what Dr. Friedman expressed before, I, I would like to say just some harsh words, but mental disease is like cancer and it grows and gets worse and worse and worse. So avoiding taking medicine because of fear, and there's a psychological aspect of that, that fear where that's coming from, uh, what you basically do is making yourself sicker. And you'll get to a situation where even I don't even know if Dr. Friedman could help him. So um, you're not solving problems; you're creating problems. So just like it's an iser to be choivul a person's not entitled to hurt his body. The worst thing to hurt is your brain. Now, the side effects is a different discussion that Dr. Friedman has to address. But if he has to be well informed what the side effects are. But if it affects other parts of your body, and I have to weigh you know the 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 possible gains against the possible uh, uh, you know cost that you'd pay. For, for for taking this medicine as let's say you'd lose some uh, agility or you would uh, not be as uh, I don't know so sort of physically functional in certain areas of your body but you're going to lose more functionality in your brain there's a cost effectiveness you know equation here and it's clearly that the brain takes precedence. Absolutely oh, and we defer to the doctor on that. Uh, well, yeah, what I would say is if the, you're sure, the, for, that the benefits, doctor, if, if the doctor says, tell, the doctor should tell them, these are the, this is the cost benefit here. You're going to lose X, Y, and Z, or you're going to diminish your ability or physical capabilities in other parts of your body, perhaps, but we're going to save your brain. So I think it's, sorry for the pun, a no brainer. <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> but Doctor, what are your thoughts on it?
4: I I think that uh, we should be aware that, as previously stated, uh, every talk I've ever given, psychiatry is a gray science, Uh, and there are so many different variables involved in psychiatry that uh, both fortunately and unfortunately, there's no givens. And when I sit with a patient and talk about the benefits and risks of every decision Uh, it's important that they know that should a person experience uh, a side effect from a psychiatric medication, that in most cases, uh, that's not an irreversible uh, side effect. And even in the cases where side effects are potentially irreversible, for example, when a patient's taking lithium for bipolar disorder, it can cause severe uh, kidney problems. But part of the job of the psychiatrist uh, in working with uh, an engaged patient and a patient's family is to screen for side effects in advance. So that way, long before there's any permanent damage done, we would already know about uh, potential risks uh, long in advance, potentially in cases uh, by years. I I would also uh, just throw out a thought, uh, as far as human psychology is concerned, that we should be quite clear making a decision to take a medication is a decision to be made. But when a person declines to address a problem, that's also a decision that they're making. And Rabbi Tversky's itself uh, always said that when a person uh, doesn't change anything, they should be very clear. That was a decision that I made today, yesterday, a month ago, a year ago, and that I'm going to keep on making until I make a change. (laughs) <laughs> okay, very good. So what we've been talking about conventional medicine.
0: If we can talk about experimental medication, I guess that's conventional medicine as well. Homeopathic medicine, Chinese medication. Are those permitted methods of treating things? Can somebody in fact say, I want to try something else, something more natural as opposed to a conventional medication? They apparently would have fewer side effects and maybe it's a Less invasive, less intrusive, less impactful. Is that a, an approach to take from a halachic perspective? Let me try something else. And in, in addition, experimental, maybe that's even more dangerous than, than taking something that we know there are side effects and it affects 2% of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So how does some, somebody approach, if we have a patient, that wants to go in different directions?
3: Well, certainly Chinese medicine, not as uh, homeopathic for sure, is uh, not worse than a Khmer, de, de Smachi. The more it talks about a Khmer that people know that it works. An amulet. Yes. So, I mean, certainly it, you might have a lot of uh, you yeah. know uh, resistance to homeopathy, maybe less the Chinese message because there's actually some substance in the Chinese me- medicine. with homeopathy, there's no substance left from all the dilutions. But it's certainly not worse than a Khmer de smachi. You know, we know this chemo works. It's better than that because there are explanations to it. And if you speak to a good homeopath or qualified or misqualified in Chinese medicine, they can explain it to you, how it works. Um, But there's, you know, depending on the severity of a person's situation, you must get accurate, quality medical advice. Then you can make a decision. Okay, do I want to go with the medication or do I want to go with... As you mentioned the case before, if somebody came with a very severe disease and came to you as a psychiatrist, but it turned out he had another disease, and you bring a few of those cases in your book. So you it, even if the, the, the interaction between that person and the psychiatrist is they don't follow up with the medication that the psychiatrist may be recommending to he decides to go to homeopathy, like, you have to make the decision at some point, is this working for me? And you also have to find out, is there any other underlying problems? So until you go to the psychiatrist, the homeopath is probably not going to figure it out. The Chinese medicine guy, maybe yeah, maybe won't. Maybe won't. You're more likely to find if there's any underlying physiological problems if you go to an MD. That's my personal opinion. Right. I,
4: I think perhaps what you're alluding to, Rabbi Schwartz, is that a uh, well-trained psychiatrist, uh, a GP also, uh, family doctor pediatrician who sometimes is evaluating as a first line uh, professional for mental health issues will uh, ask a number of questions about the way that the body's working somebody who says uh, I feel like I have no energy I can't focus I don't want to get out of bed I just feel down all the time and also my stomach hurts and when I go to the bathroom it's uh, very painful Uh, that would be a patient perhaps that I would say Have you ever been to a GI doc to make sure you don't have Crohn's disease? Uh, For a patient who has a ton of energy, feels anxious all the time, can't sleep, and feels constantly schwitzy. I might think this is a patient that I would have to uh, rule out hyperthyroidism in them. So uh, it's very important, I would say, that when a person has significant dysfunction and psychiatric symptoms, that uh, seeing a proper MD to do a thorough evaluation is is quite important. I'd also point out that in a lot of cases, uh, patients who have psychiatric illnesses Are more likely to abuse substances and substance users uh, are more likely to develop psychiatric illnesses and that unique balance is really uh, part of the fundamental training of a psychiatrist uh, in terms of both safely getting people off of uh, drugs and alcohol uh, including marijuana uh, and also, uh, explaining how these can be affecting uh, symptoms of depression and anxiety
3: there's no, there's no uh, replacement for a proper, proper medical examination when a person is, feels something's not right with the way he's behaving or feeling or thinking, because it may be a very, very simple solution to it, and if he goes another route and he does, doesn't work, at the same time he's exacerbating his, uh, the real situation, the real underlying issue. Right now,
0: let's let's talk about Hilcha Shabbos. I I know a big issue is when can you be machal Shabbos. And in physical health, we have a lot of shilas in that regard. A number of sorry, have been written in in that regard. But when it comes to psychological help, so I I remember this goes back over 20 years. Uh, My wife and I, I think maybe we had that one child at the time and somebody was over, a guest for Shabbos stayed over. And after Shabbos lunch, he started talking about not directly, but about committing suicide. He was talking about, I'm being stretched, or I feel I'm going to snap. I don't remember the exact language that he was using, but we sensed that something was really off here. And we started talking a little bit about mental health. He kind of started coming out about some some issues. He showed us his bag of medications, literally a bag of medications that, that he showed us. And we started getting a little bit nervous at Shabbos here, but this person definitively needs help. So how do you... Handle a situation like that. Obviously, it's going to be a difference so for somebody who doesn't know Hilcha Shabbos. I wasn't in the parsha at all of understanding psychology back then. And somebody who is a mumcha. So somebody comes and knocks on your door, maybe on Shabbos, and says, "I have somebody who is talking about directly or indirectly insu- insinuating
3: suicide." How do we handle that on Shabbos? Well, of course, if it's clear that the person is, uh, you know, is there with a gun and he's pointing at his head, if you don't help me, I'm going to shoot. Uh, you know, then it's clear what, what we need to do. But I think generally, and uh, Dr. Friedman will correct me if I'm wrong, people who speak about suicide, Barabi, are probably not immediate candidates for suicide. Would you agree with that?
4: I, I think this is a very good question, Rabbi, because uh, what you're pointing out is that there are some people who, uh, when they say extreme things, are uh, either making a cry for help, uh, a cry for attention, or a cry uh, for having somebody take their problems seriously. Uh, we need to be aware though that as uh, laypeople people uh, that we are not there to make those decisions and that uh, heaven forbid uh, we make the wrong decision. Uh, tragic things can happen. Uh, There was a fellow who uh, ended his life in a public fashion uh, in a big community on Shabbos uh, a few years ago, and many people saw this happen. And the ripples, obviously, were quite severe, far beyond his immediate family, extended family, and neighborhood. I will be very honest that I do not make uh, safety assessments on uh people in my neighborhood uh, because I don't have all of the relevant information. And generally what I'll tell people is if you feel scared, if you feel sick, if you feel like you might hurt yourself or somebody else, you need to be responsible to call Hetzala and to be evaluated and potentially to go to the emergency room. And I say the same thing for loved ones, that, when you have a question about safety, uh, I might be an expert in psychiatry, but you're an expert in your uh, daughter, in your wife, in your husband, in your father. If you feel that something is amiss, you need to go ahead and do the safest thing possible because you can always walk out of an emergency room when it's no longer an emergency. But heaven forbid... You're not in a safe environment when something unsafe happens. So it's, it's definitely beget so, or suffix.
3: Yeah. Well, what, what I was going to finish off by saying is that there's two there's two things in uh, in the equation. There's the person who is we're worried about, and then there's the person who is perhaps capable of helping the person. So if you get too frightened by what's what's happening, you you lose a, a bit of your logic and your, your you know your you, you might panic. And so therefore, I think it is important to say, it, uh, Dr. Friedman, of course, is right in everything he said, and 100%, and we have to take it into in consideration, but the person, the most important thing is the person who is the host, let's say in this case, shouldn't lose it. Shouldn't all of a sudden get panicky himself and start calling in the, the, the civil guard or something. However, I would stay with that person. I would stay with him, and I would talk with him. I, I wouldn't let him out of the house till you were sure, you felt sure that this person is safe. By talking to him and evaluating the situation, if he's a total stranger, it's harder to do. But if, like, you, like Dr. Freeman said, if somebody you know, you can, you can sense, is he safe or not? But in any fake a person just doesn't know. So even as fake sfake, even as a thousand sfakeas, if there's a little chance of pikuch nefesh, then you pick up the phone and you call Hetzola. Uh, in addition to that, it's not, according to most postgame, picking up the phone is not an Issa Some hold it is, some hold it isn't, but rough postgame hold it's not an Issa especially uh, if you have a battery operated cell phone which is not connected to the wall. So you don't have a bonus so, question. So, you, you, yeah, there could be some tikkum money there also, but anyway, mo- most postgame hold it, it's not a Duraisa. So even if he's a hoyle shame boy, so there's a mokum to be mako under certain conditions, to make the, fo- the phone call. But you have to be an observant Jew. But the reason I mention why, they usually don't, and I think I think it's true, usually people speak about it at the table, at a Shabbos table, they're not going to pull out a knife or a gun and commit suicide on the spot. So stay calm. Keep them engaged and be an observant Jew. And and if you have any self-ache, so you call that solo. I think usually a person is in your home and he's talking about it and he's, He's got his bag of medicine there. Is there anything there you can take? You can offer him. Is there anything you can take? But but you should stay engaged with the person. Right. Does that, that's actually what we did. We spent the rest of Shabbos with him. I took him to Shul. I
0: took him to... Maybe, maybe so, that's what he wanted. It could and be. Maybe. We had Suda shlishis. We had Tzudah Revise, You know what I mean? <laughs> and, Hamishis. and uh And you know, it was like running out the clock until after Shabbos. And then we got on the phone immediately. I, I, I stayed with him and my wife got on the phone over the reverse with his... With his Psychiatrist who said, "Take him to the hospital immediately." So that—that's what yeah. happened there. So a, a, a non-picach, netfish question, but it could be a rice as well, and it could, something as simple, but common as somebody who picks their cuticles, bites their nails on Shabbos. It's very common. It's very common. So I'd like to find out durabanan, and also how do you handle that if you see somebody picking their nails, p- picking their cuticles in shul and it's Shabbos. Is this a deraisa? Is this a durabanan? Well, you know, how do you handle
3: it? And 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 what's the psychology behind this person? Before Is we it- get to the psychology, right? I just want to s- s- mention something about the people who are doing that. Uh, I assume that some of
4: those people it's it's some type of OCD. Okay, so there is what's called trichotillomania, which is where, uh, people will pull out their hairs and at times eat them. And, uh, that's something that is very, very, uh, much overlapping with OCD, um, a lot of people with OCD have it. Most people with trichotillomania will also have other obsessive compulsive behaviors. There's also what's called uh, skin picking behaviors. So uh, in these, people will have an obsessive thought, which is, I have to pull out my eyebrows and eat them. And then the behavior, the compulsive act to make that thought go away, because the thought is very intrusive and it's driving them bananas. So they follow the act. And uh, then it decreases the anxiety for a period of time. Of course, it's a reinforcing loop, which is why uh, it gets worse and worse without treatment. But the same thing with uh, nail biting and nail picking that there's an obsessive thought and then there's a, a compulsive act to make that obsessive thought go away. So it's away. not
0: just a matter of nervousness and picking at something or ADHD
4: kind of having to be Well, it could be busy. because people are allowed to do that. But uh, in many cases, it's not fiddling. It's uh, real-deal trictillomania. Real-deal skin picking is more similar to a person who has an obsessive thought that they haven't locked their front door. And they check it. And then they check it again. And then at 11 o'clock when they're in their pajamas, they check it again. And then at four in the morning, they wake up to check it again. And they stop sleeping because they have been checking the lock uh, all night long. And now they've lost their job, uh, as a result of it for showing up late. So as we said before, so important to nip things in the bud. So is that
0: most people that are picking, they have that, that, uh,
4: probably not, but for the people who are the repeat offenders and you know who it is, because these are the people that have a patch of their hair missing or the people whose fingers are bleeding. Uh, these are folks who, uh, more likely, have other anxious pathology, potentially other OCD pathology.
3: So the the the, the issue of picking at skin, of course, mentioned um, you have in and 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 there's discussions there. You know, Which way are the cuticles peeling? From the top to the bottom, bottom to the top? What does that mean? Uh, so there could be a be if it's done beyond Basically, we assume. On most cases, that's deraisa. However, Doruch Shulchan says if you pick your skin, um, your hand, and that's the way you do it—that's just the way people do it. Then it could be deraisa also. Having said all that, having said all that, uh, picking at cuticles and parts of your skin when it's coming from a, a, a pathological place is not a malocha. It's misasik. It's not a malocha. It's not even a malacha the gufa. He's misasik. He doesn't know. He's not picking at his skin because he wants to pick at his skin. He his brain is telling him to move his fingers in that direction to calm a pain in his head. It's completely misasik. So you don't have to say anything. And it's better than not to say anything. Mutav shushog again. Well, he's not even a shogi. He's a misasik. Is muter. So, but, but you bother. is. I mean, see, we don't want to be misasik in mean, malachas and Shabbos. But if he, he doesn't, he doesn't need to
4: clap alchet. So and don't say anything. I wouldn't say. And how about after Shabbos? How do we treat this? Well, I'd just like to throw out a thought that if we want to treat something, we might want to as uh, treatment providers, as rebbies, as parents, as loved ones, as uh, Chavrisa's. Uh, But if the patient doesn't want to treat something, it doesn't matter how bad we want to do it. So it could actually be that in a case like this, that a person would see... what they're doing as potentially problematic on Shabbos and might actually have that serve as their motivation for entering into treatment as an Ehrlich Uh How do we treat it? Well, um, can I ask you a question? But it's also possible you're going to create more anxiety for them and they'll be picking more. <laughs> These are the challenges I think that require you and I to sit over <laughs> dinner again soon, Rabbi Schwartz. Uh, how do we treat uh, skin picking and uh, hair pulling? Uh, they're treated very similarly to OCD psychologically through exposure and relapse prevention techniques uh, and standard behavioral treatments. So uh, one thing that we do is we have our patients um, learn how to be more aware of these behaviors so that way they can uh, be present and know that they're doing it before it's already started Another thing that we do uh, most practically is we do graded exposures. So we get people to think about how Givaldic it would be to pull out their beard hairs and eat them. We get people to think about how exciting it might be to bite your uh, index finger in the middle of Shimona S-Ray and get them really halishing the behavior. And then we say, good, whatever you do, don't do it. And uh, the concept here is that when we increase the voluntary anxiety, we decrease the involuntary anxiety. When we decrease the voluntary anxiety, we increase the involuntary anxiety. Now, this is a big hop, so I just want to explain this. Uh, When a person forces themselves to tolerate anxious distress, obviously a patient has to be ready and willing to do this. But when a patient forces themselves to tolerate distress, it's tougher in the moment. They're increasing the voluntary anxiety, but then they're teaching their brain, relax. We're not going to die from this. This is not a polar bear about to eat us. And so with time, they decrease the involuntary anxiety. When a person decreases the voluntary anxiety. When a person says, oh man, I'm really stressed out. I want to bite my nails and then starts chomping on their fingers. They've decreased the voluntary anxiety, meaning it went away. I did a behavior and now it's gone. They didn't tolerate any distress, but that creates a feedback loop that makes it even stronger in an involuntary fashion moving forwards. So, Patients really have to develop a good rapport with their therapist for this, but then we come up with specific exercises, some of them imaginary, some of them behavioral, to actually go through pushing yourself to be in a situation that's difficult in order to learn how to tolerate that. And the brain processes that and changes the way that the neurons are connecting and speaking with each other. And they actually learn how to be better. Personally, I had severe acrophobia as a young man, uh, fear of heights. And my father, God bless him, told me it was time to learn how to rock climb. <laughs> and I was scared out of my mind until the rock climbing teacher told me, uh, if you fall, I'll catch you. And I said, but what if you don't? And he said, it's not how far you fall, it's how high you bounce, which is the most horrifying thing you think about, but he really meant it metaphorically. So it was actually a wonderful thing that he said. <laughs> but and that got you by over. rock climbing, I was able to not be afraid of heights. So that's interesting. It's it's not hiding from your fears. It's addressing your fears. Conquering them. Conquering your fears. Literally yeah. conquering one's fears. Now, this has to be done, again, in an appropriate treatment setting where a person has a, a healthy relationship where they don't push themselves prematurely. But this is uh, an exposure therapy. I
3: think this is a, a great example of uh, one of the points that I think is very important to make here. You, you I'm not a doctor, not certainly not a psychiatrist. Dr. Friedman, you know, right away was able to uh, suggest a way of dealing with this. Uh, if somebody would intervene in and Schoen says, no, this isn't a Sideraisa what you're doing, uh, and he's not ready for it, he's, you're not going to help him, you're going to hurt him. But there's another point here, is that the expertise. The expertise that's necessary in dealing with mental health is a huge so the Gemara, I always bring the example, the Gemara brings up a, a question, did Rav get Smicha to Paskin on Mumim, Mumim, in Bechirus? So he didn't, so the Gemara says, why not? Although he was a very smart person, he was a very smart person. The Gemara goes so far as to say, the Rav went for 18 months to live with cowboys, Roya Boko. So he could learn, who knows better than the cowboys, what's a mum kavua and what's not a mum kavua. So 18 months, he met, he away from home, 18 months of his life with, I don't know, with with bulls and and, and, and who knows what uh, what kind of animals that are out there, obviously lambs or, or bulls and cows and everything, and he's living with maybe not the most comfortable people to live with, Roya Boko, you know, they're not exactly Yeshiva Shalom Donim and they, but it also gets shimush. What is a mum? What is really a mum? How do you see it? How do you understand it? Obviously, it's not so easy if it took 18 minutes of Rav's life, 18 months Mm -hmm. of his life. So I don't think there's any Rav who can have the amount of knowledge that's necessary, unless he's been educated by a doctor, physician, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, to off the cuff answer a question, mental health issue, directly from Shulchan Aruch.
0: Right. Amazing. Uh, Such an important insight. And we're seeing that dynamic right now. So that's uh, obviously
3: that's why I want to be here.
0: Glad you're both here. Uh, One last question. One last question, Rabbi Schwartz. You mentioned Misase, below a show gig. So we have these different states, mental states of individuals. If we talk about somebody who has medical anxiety or OCD, can we putter them? Are they putter from mitzvahs? I'll give you an example. Somebody who is having a lot of anxiety over Kibbutz Avim. The standards are high. The responsibilities are high. The Chiyuvim are high. Am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? What do I have to say? Stuttering over words. Whatever it may be, but they're all panicked over that. That's our topic for the today. Fears, panic, anxiety. Or another example would be, and this is probably more common, somebody who has OCD and they're going and they're, Washing the netilas dime constantly, or saying kriyat shema over and over and over because they didn't have the requisite kavana or they didn't think they had the requisite kavana So where does the halacha? Where does the come the out way, on somebody being putter from mitzvah because of mental, mental health,
3: mental illness? Well, there's a general uh, discussion in Shofar Noach and Poskim, uh, Prima Godim, What if there, a mitzvah will cause you to lose one of your organs or limbs? Are you required to sacrifice one of your organs or limbs, not your life, for the sake of fulfilling a mitzvah sase?
0: Yeah,
3: I we're going to get to losase in a minute. So the shach is Mustapik that in your Um uh, but he passes laku. So the prim- what does mean laku? That means that you know you don't have to give a fifth of your money a choimish, to to make mitzvah sesay. Let's say you you don't have very much money; you can't afford to fill in. It will cost you more than it will cost you a fourth of your money. Mm-hmm. You're potted from tefillin, unless you can borrow a pair. But if you would be in a situation where nobody has a pair of tefillin, the only way you can get it is spending a fourth of your money, you're potted from tefillin. There's a limit how far the Torah goes with its obligations, with the exception of the Gimel, Gimel of Eyes So when there's a Sakonis Aver involved, and in our case we're talking about mental health, if you lose your brain, if you lose your brain, that's Sakonis Aver more than losing an arm or a hand or a finger. Or even one kidney, or part of your liver, or one lung. But if you lose your ability to uh, yeah. understand and to be able to fulfill mitzvahs, the mm-hmm. Radvaz, 500 years of the Radvaz, uh, wh- when he deals with the Prima God he brings this Radvaz about do you have to give up a neighbor, a save saver, for the sake of a mitzvah? And the Prima Gottim says, even for a Loisase, he asked about Loisase. The Prima Godim was, well, so you could be over on a mitzvah loisaseh. If without doing it, you're going to lose an avar. It doesn't specify which avar you're going to lose. You're going to lose part of your body. So the Radva says, It's not misestablished, it's not apisechul that the Torah would require us to lose part of our body for a mitzvah, or even for a mitzvah's loisaseh, according to the Prima godin On a doraisa Loisase. In other words, we we equate Sarkonis Avor in almost every situation to Sarkonis Nefoshes of the whole body. So the brain is much more important than almost all the other Avorim. So, in a case where the mitzvah itself, like the Rambam says in the uh, Shabbos, how, how do we know a person's uh, Shabbos is nidche because of Bikoch Nefesh? So there's three differently, Mudim and the Gemara and Yuma. And the Rambam, Shaloi Kedarko, expresses an opinion that. Is not written in the Gemara, but when you read the Rambam carefully, you see it as the Rambam is very careful in Yad HaZoka to stay very as close as possible to the Lashon of the Gemara, at least the concept of the Gemara is saying, and not to put it in his own true sense. And the Rambam says the reason why Shabbos is Nidche, because, because it can't be. The mitzvahs were not given for Nekoma in the world. It can't be that a mitzvah can come in the way of life because it can't be in a common and oynish. The Torah came into the world, the is the to bring shalom and rachamim into the world. So for a mitzvah, Rambam talking about nefesh, but based on the shach and the prima that even in a sarkanas uh, aver, we might lose one limb. It's the same as pikuach nefesh. So when a person is so uh, stressed out because of whatever Kibarev Kavemi has, maybe he's, maybe the parents are too, you know, like the Gemara says, uh, you check your son, if he's a who if a a the Gemara says, so you can't cause him to be in a position where the mitzvah is going to hurt him. So where the mitzvah is going to hurt him in a way that's going to bring damage to his body, and here in mental illness, it will bring damage to his body. So, so, my, my so, my, my so t- those mitzvahs that might do that to him, those are he's potter from Nachma, not so much Machmas but because he's a heule So my my question was exemption potter. Would we say then don't do it? You're usher to do uh, it. So I'll tell you, uh, uh, well, you know, you're 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 it's, you're trying to feed me the question. No, I don't say potter. I don't say potter. I said you're not allowed to do the mitzvah. Right, right. Why? Because you're harming yourself, and the mitzvahs can't be used for nakoma. We had uh, I saw this in uh, several cases by Scheinberg's There was a. A Talmud. He was an Eilu, but he was uh, he was OCD, and he was davening too long, and he was his habits in the in the of of uh, were too aggressive, and if you make a brocha and you don't have the proper Nikoyan, a goof is a brocha of Atola? So uh, and he was he was OCD in this. So Rav Scheinberg told him, it's on me. Make the brochas. Make the brok, it's on me, I take it on my eyes he was worried he
0: wasn't clean,
3: yeah, always worried was okay, maybe maybe the way that there was some you to, to do it he was still worried he's not clean, so sometimes it's on me, or another case where a person uh, davens and he thinks he didn't have uh, proper in and and he says it over and over and over again. it's on me, you needs somebody to come in a religious somebody's a religious uh, figure who has authority in some. Don't worry about this. Say it once and yeah. move on. Yeah, th- we had a case of certain uh, uh, S- 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 Rosh Hashiva that he told his Talmud also. He was davening for I don't know hours maybe, and and he told him. He said, "Listen, you have ten minutes to damage and if you have to stop after ten minutes, and he, he didn't do it. So this Rosh Hashiva, very wise, he said, he told him ahead of time because you have to let them know ahead of time what you're going to. do. is if you if you go past ten minutes. I'm going to pick you up and put you in the base of Kisei. and there you can't dump. It. And he did it and he did it. The boy knew that was going to happen. He did it. And then it, it, after a while, solved the problem.
4: I, like I think that shows the Godless of that specific Rosh Yeshiva because, uh, we do the same thing with our patients. For example, somebody who spends hours in the basic Kisa, uh, and is uh, trying to clean themselves mm-hmm. to the point where they're hurting their body. Um, the Pesach that I've heard from uh, Rav Asher Weishlita is actually in regards to what is the normal getter of cleaning. A certain amount of wet wipes in that specific case. Six wet wipes. Oh, it was way beyond. i time about three times and that's it. If
3: a person's OCD about that, they are not allowed to do more than three three times and not to look at it.
4: Not to look at I, it. I would also say that, again, We I've bought patients' timers Uh, patients who spend time in the shower. And uh, I say you have four minutes because that's how long it takes a normal yeshiva bachar to take a shower, including shampoo and everything. And it's only once a week. So you you press the button. I say, when the button goes off, I said, do you want to get better? This is what you do. The moment it goes off, I don't care how soapy you are. I don't care how dirty you are. You're out of the shower. And this is actually the treatment because they get stressed out doing it. And yes, it's anxiety provoking not to complete the ritual of the lengthy shower or the lengthy cleaning. But when you, again, increase the voluntary anxiety, you're going to decrease right. the involuntary anxiety. And this is the exposure therapy that frankly treats it. So I'm just so impressed to hear. Right. Uh, it shouldn't be such a... Uh, Hiddish that Rav Sheinberg's song knew mm-hmm. uh, this, By well. Well, this
3: person is uh, became a very
4: big time talking and uh,
3: he was cured of all of uh, Rav
0: uh, I'd like to thank you both for joining us fascinating and we certainly see the Hashivas, the importance of a Rav opposing a being so knowledgeable but still any shaila that comes up there could be psychological aspects that do need consultation and that's to me A lot learned here, but that's a really big message. Thank you so much.
4: I'd just like to add that as a mental health professional uh, who's also uh, working hard to be a, a good Yid, it's impossible to do this work without the guidance of a posek who's willing to spend the time to uh, go through these sugyas, these questions. And uh, I'm very grateful, uh, Rabbi Schwartz, for you always being available to discuss these uh, issues with me to help my patients, but also to help myself uh, in order to be able to have the koch to go well, back a, the next day. It's
3: <laughs> a symbiotic relationship because, as I said before, a rov who does, who didn't spend, not that you're a roy boker but it doesn't spend significant time with therapists and psychiatrists to really understand what we know today about mental health. And I'm sure that in another 10 years, it's going to be even uh, greater and greater. He's, the chances of coming up with a correct sock are very little. And an incorrect sock in these cases, is afflicting additional wounds on the person, and he will be held accountable for it.
0: Very good. Rabbi Schwartz, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Joining us now is three mental health professionals, something we've never done on headlines. Three therapists at one with me. So I guess I'm having a super-duper therapist therapy session here, which is unbelievable. So first, I'm going to introduce each of them. And then I have questions. Each of them is a specialty. So I'll introduce each of them. And then we'll go one by one. But feel free to interject when your colleague you disagree or agree with something. Feel free. We'd love to hear from you as well. So starting with Dr. Jacob Friedman, you were on the show recently, Dr. Friedman is a board certified psychiatrist, not a psychologist, psychiatrist in both America and Israel after completing his training as chief resident at Harvard Medical School. I had fun with that last time. That used to be a good place to go to school. Dr. Friedman made Aliyah with his wife and children. He lectures widely to the Jewish community and is known for his popular column in Mishpacha magazine and his book, Off the Couch. We are not sitting on a couch together right now. We are off the couch as well. And now he has a new book coming out, The Things I Told My Patients. Dr. Friedman, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Tremendous of us to be here. I really appreciate it, Rabbi.
0: Also joining us is Rabbi Avraham Willig. We're going to speak specifically about anxiety, fears and dating and marriage with Rabbi Willig. That is his specialty. Rabbi Willig is a rabbi, a rebbe, a lecturer, a psychotherapist, also a musician. He obtained his Master's of Clinical Social Work at the Wurzweiler School. He has a private practice in individual marital and family therapy in Yushalayim Beit Shemesh. He also runs groups and workshops about relationships, marriage, and marital intimacy. Rabbi Willig, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here what a pleasure and also joining us is rabbi dr benji epstein his specialty is mindfulness he is an experienced psychologist author and speaker he has a private practice and also runs mindfulness seminars i have his book looking at me right now i look forward to reading it i want to thank you as well thank you so much for joining us thank you so why don't we start with dr friedman because we're going to talk generally about our topic and then we'll get into more specifics so dr friedman definitely are always important. So if you could define for us fear, anxiety, stress, and simply being nervous, are these all the same things or are they different?
4: Okay. That's a great question. Stress is a chemical condition in our body. Stress is uh, the result of of difficult things in our environment and how our body, uh, and by body I mean the organ systems of the heart, of the lungs, of the stomach, the digestive tract, and the brain itself, uh, processing these stressful things uh, that one experiences throughout the day. And uh, as a result, of adversity, uh, whether adversity is things such as uh, being chased around by an axe-wielding maniac, uh, adversity such as being outside when it's too hot or too cold, not sleeping enough, sleeping too much. Whatever our body is going through stresses the chemical response to difficult things on the outside. Fear is our subjective uh, response to things that strike us as scary, whether this is uh, uh, frightening uh, movies uh, with guys running around in hockey masks or scary gloves, or whether this is uh, a big dog across the street, which may or may not be a German shepherd uh, that's scaring my kids. And I'm asking my neighbor if he's listening to please keep your dog in your own property. I've already spoken with the veterinarian who is in charge of our city about your dog multiple times. He doesn't need to put it to sleep. You can just keep it in your yard. Uh, fear is our subjective experience to scary things. Anxiety is a clinical term, meaning anxiety can be the, Uh, both symptom and the diagnosis, when a person's uh, response to outside uh, difficulties and their genetic uh, predisposition puts them in a place where the fear response is overwhelming, where the stress response in their system is causing physical symptoms of uh, stress and de-stress, When a person uh, experiences anxiety, that could be quite normal. Uh, But when it gets to a place where it's deviant, where you're the most nervous kid in your neighborhood because of the dog across the street, when it gets to a point of deviance, when everybody in your unit throughout the army is also a bit shell-shocked, but you're the one who can't get out of bed and can't function on the battlefield. When it gets to the point where it's dysfunctional because you're unable to be successful at school, at home, at work, wherever it might be. That's when we start to discuss an anxiety disorder. So the three D's again are deviance, dysfunction, making a diagnosis. Okay. So at what point and
0: how do you diagnose somebody? If somebody is experiencing anxiety, how do you go about analyzing If it's a clinical anxiety
4: as opposed to just an anxious individual. So that's a really important question. Uh, Psychiatry is admittedly quite a gray science, and that's one of the things that we should be quite aware of. There's no x-ray to diagnose an anxiety disorder. There's no EKG to diagnose OCD. The only thing that blood tests can tell us at this point uh, is whether or not there's something else happening in the body system that could be causing similar symptoms. For example, a thyroid disorder or palpitations, a heart attack. So uh, anxiety, again, some level is also normal and some level at some point becomes abnormal. There's a spectrum. So generally at a point where a person begins to experience uh, physical symptoms of their anxiety, whether it's chest pain, whether it's uh, stressed out, uh, neck, whether it's uh, stomach, uh, overactivity, we don't have to describe what that looks like, uh, when a person can't sleep, because of their anxiety, they're up all night where a person can't eat because they feel like their stomach can't handle it. At the point where a person's body is saying, enough, I'm struggling, that's when we uh, start to talk about a diagnosis. One of the questions I always ask my patients when they come in and say, doc, do I have clinical anxiety? Doc, do I have an anxiety disorder? Uh, is, do you feel like you're worrying about minor things? So that's an intentionally vague statement, meaning if it's minor to you, then you shouldn't be worrying about it. It could be something that is not minor to other people, but you could be that really tough guy who's able to stand out on the battlefield all day long. You could be that person who's constantly day trading stocks and uh, swinging back and forth $100,000 might only be a minor thing for you. So if you are worrying about minor things, that could be a sign and a symptom that we should have a longer discussion. Also, if people are worrying for more than an hour a day, that's a nice arbitrary number whereby if you're worrying for more than an hour a day, then
0: every day. In other words, there are going to be times that somebody is going to be, have a reason to be anxious about something and then they may be anxious all day long if they have a good reason for it.
4: I I think that's a very good point. I would also trust uh, collateral information. So does your wife think that you're struggling? Great. Go get it checked out. Does your rabbi think that you're struggling? Great. Go get it checked out. Does your business partner, does your chabruso, whoever it might be, somebody who knows you, spends time with you, who's seen a change in behavior, are they concerned about you? Get it checked out. And again, uh, because there's so much uh, vague language in mental health and there's so few objective signs and symptoms, it's really important to talk with a licensed professional. And most of uh, the organizations out there in our community, whether it's Relief Resources or a team, Wear a Mask, Ezra Mitzion, any of the great organizations out there that uh, support members of our community who are dealing with mental health issues will only refer to licensed clinicians, whether that's a licensed social worker, a licensed psychologist, a licensed psychiatrist licensure comes with a level of professionalism and a level of know-how. And while there are unfortunately exceptions to this, uh, it's so important to make sure that you're working with somebody who both understands the field and is uh, understanding of our community and some of the unique challenges that we face. Right, so talking about
0: our community and the unique uh, challenges that we have, what would you say are the three, four, five, three to five most common mm-hmm concerns or fears that individuals have. I'm interested to hear about our community, the Orthodox community. And then as an overlay to that, I'm interested in hearing, because you practice a tremendous amount in the United States, how would you compare our concerns to those of, let's say, secular society? I don't know if you want to use Israeli secular society or U.S. secular society, but I don't know if they're going to be different. But how would you compare Orthodox Jews' most common fears and concerns to that of,
4: of regular or secular society? Okay, so a few different questions here. Uh, what are we thinking about the most? Um, I, I believe that there are more rules in our system uh, than perhaps some other systems out there. Uh, I'm not talking about the Taryak mitzvahs. I'm not talking about uh, Derisa and Rabunans here. I'm talking about Codes of behavior, codes of dress, uh, codes of conduct, that uh, there's tremendous pressure to conform to the norms of society. Cultural norms. And cultural norms sometimes are unconnected with either halakhic responsibilities or with uh, sanity. So it can be very important to recognize that some of the things that we uh, encourage uh, our children to. To do, encourage our spouses to do, encourage our neighbors to do, uh, can be tremendously stressful. While there are many people, for example, that can study for enormous uh, lengths of time in a row, uh, there are other people who, frankly, their brains can't handle it. And uh, for bukharim for example, who are in yeshivas where they're expected to be learning from for three sadarim a day and expected to sleep seven hours at night, uh, that can be tremendously anxiety-provoking when they're not capable of either of those things. They need more sleep to be functional, which is normal. Seven to eight hours is normal. So somebody who needs closer to one end uh, and is only getting closer to the other end could be in a lot of trouble, uh, I would say again, uh those norms can be quite difficult. How many hours do you sleep a night? Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth. Do we have a constitution in this country? Uh, we do not. Not on headlines. We okay. don't. <laughs> um, I, I would say that I try to be very aggressive about going to sleep as early as possible because I like to wake up in the wee hours of the morning uh, to be macayem the debreh uh of Benjamin Franklin who said uh early to bed early to rise makes man a Tamit Chacham." so uh it's so important because I really like to wake up at about Four or five in the morning when it's quiet, I can do my mindfulness meditations that uh, Rav Benji will tell us about. I can also go ahead and do some housework to be in the mitzvah of uh, not leaving it all on your wife, as Rav Avram will talk about, and to do some studying and just preparation for a day that's going to have a lot of challenges. So there are some nights where I'll go to bed as early as about nine o'clock in order to wake up early. And I am very... Uh, protective of my Arab Shabbos snap. Oh, very Arif good. Try to put you on the spot no, on a personal
0: no, no, no. note uh... there. So, so n- number one on the list of three, four, five common
4: concerns, fears of Orthodox Jews number one, cultural norms. I would say that another big one is Shaduchim, which Rev Abram will talk a lot more about. Uh, but we enter into a situation where there are many desired traits in a mate within our community, in a spouse for life, uh, okay. that one will have a very difficult time uh, being able to fulfill. And uh, there are certain things that normal people will go through, uh, whether family members or the individual themselves, that if they... Uh, address these issues, or if they talk about them in public, can make shadukim quite difficult. Specifically, I see this in the field of mental health, whereby people will... Uh, be so nervous to go to a psychiatrist because somebody will find out about it and it will ruin their if, if somebody goes to a psychiatrist that's not as bad as taking a medication uh, which will ruin their shidduchim. if somebody is taking a medication to continue that medication during the process that could be even worse and then we end up with the problem of people who are unwilling to get the help that they need uh, because of fears of And on top of that, people who will then lie about getting the help that they need, which causes serious problems of trust between uh, in-laws and uh, spouses alike. And so many situations in which people who are taking a medicine will stop taking it at a not opportune time, such as Shaduchim, when there is a lot of stress. The Belzer Rav Shlita once told me that it's advisable for patients who can uh, take an injectable form of their medicine, to be taking the injectable form of their medicine during Shaduchim in the early stages of marriage so that they would not be embarrassed to take a pill in front of their spouse. Such sensitivity can be required, uh, not even in terms of truth and lying, but in terms of the shame that people in our community feel associated with getting uh, help for okay. uh, mental illness. So that's okay. number two. Okay. Give us one more, uh, one more, uh, I think is, uh, the balance between the world that is our world, the Torah world, and then the world that is a world devoid of Torah, uh, that we see anytime we open our eyes outside of our Dalit Amos within our house and outside of base Midrash. If a person does not have a smartphone that does not stop them from hearing and taking in all sorts of information, that's, uh, in many cases, a big stira to Torah values. I think that, uh, any time that our community is pushing uh hanukkah trips in greece uh we have to ask ourselves how is it possible to reconcile these competing things and that causes a lot of philosophical angst we could call it but just also a lot of questions of what's emus and what's sheker uh when again There are ideas of a good Bachar at a good yeshiva carrying a price tag of hundreds of thousands of dollars. How is it possible for a family of a good girl where the father is a nice Ehrlich to marry off his daughter into a good family when there are, again expectations about traveling away for Pesach that many families have to take loans for in order to travel for Pesach, not to pay for matzos and potatoes and eggs and onions. I think that we run into a lot of challenges trying to balance the values of being somebody who's focused on Olam Haba with somebody who also recognizes that we are living in a society that has many, uh, gosh, expectations. So juggling this is quite difficult. I'm reminded of when I was, uh, about nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, when I used to go to visit my aunt in Los Angeles and she would, uh, take me against my father's will, uh, to go see the street performers in LA. And there was a guy who would juggle, a chainsaw, a watermelon, and a bowling ball. And at the end, he would throw up the chainsaw, cut the watermelon in half, and he would sell you a piece of watermelon for 20 bucks. But man, was it worth it. That was the best beret priade de made in my entire life because just got cut in the air by a chainsaw. I remember uh, a few years later when I asked a friend of mine who had been to LA, did you get to see the fellow who was juggling a watermelon, a chainsaw and a bowling ball? And he throws up the watermelon and then he cuts it in half with the chainsaw. And then he sells it to you. And my friend said, no, that guy wasn't there. And I said, what are you talking about? He was there every year in a row for, for years. And he said, well, he wasn't there. And I said, well, what do you think happened to him? I said, what do, you, what do you think happened to me? Probably threw the chainsaw and cut off one of his arms. Like you can't just keep on juggling that stuff forever. So I believe that our uh, community is juggling many things. And, uh, I am so grateful to be here with, uh, very smart, very thoughtful, very dedicated people when it comes to Ami Israel tonight uh, who can help address these issues, and I guess uh, I should put in a plug for headlines here that really uh, Ravari, you are a beacon of sanity and uh, a lighthouse of uh, thoughtful, rational approach to the problems that our community faces. So I'm, glad I'm, I'm, I'm
0: I'm glad I'm being told that I'm sane in this audience of <laughs> the therapist here. It
1: gives me a lot of solace. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> I'm going to tell my wife that. <laughs> so let, let's move on to Rabbi Willick. So we're really going to focus on, on, on number two, concern number two that you mentioned, Shiduchim. We're going to go into that now because Rabbi Willick, that's really something that you specialize. So question number one, when it comes to this, let's start. let's divide up between dating and marriage dating and marriage. So let's focus on dating first. Obviously dating comes before marriage. So what would you say are the two largest fears that you see when people are dating? And would you say it's the same for the boys or the young men, men and the women, or is it going to be different? Those concerns? First
2: of all, I also want to uh, thank you for having me here at this, uh, this show. It's a schust. It's a, really a privilege to be with such great people and such humble people. <laughs> that, that's I really mean that. It's so great, it's so unassuming, it's so easy to talk to. It's just, you make it easy uh, for, for me to be sitting here. There's, there's lots going on uh, when people uh, uh, get stressed out about dating, people ask, you know, am I ready for this? Can I do this? You know, it, it, is, this the right, is this the right person? Am I, am, is this the right one? How do I know that this is the right one? How do I know? Can I trust this person? You know, some of the issues of trust that Dr. Friedman uh, referred to, are they putting on a show? It's kind of difficult to, 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 to manage that, you know, in regards to the specific guys, girls breakdown. I think guys ask, you know, will they like me? Will this girl like me? You know, because, uh, guys get interested, uh, in the girls faster and, um, you know, Maybe, maybe my ego, if I, if I, if I go all in here, you know, I like this girl and she dumps me like, Whoa, I'm not going to be hurt. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And is she going to like me back the same way I like her? Also, of course the fear of commitment, which, uh, you know, is today in a big, in the big world in the big world of, uh, you know, for better or worse technology and communication, everyone knows everything. There's so many options, but it's a famous effect, uh, uh, of, of, of too many people. Um, so, you know, th- people have a fear of commitment. Like, you know, am I ready for this? Am I, can I do this? And, and, and uh, um, what about all the other people who I'm losing out on? Uh, as far as girls, I think girls worry, are they going to be treated well? Like, is this going to treat me nicely? You know, is he good enough for me? I think a lot of girls are like, you know, they hear and they hear in, especially, you know, in seminary, you want to marry a, a tzaddik, an, an angel. Is he good enough? Is he good enough? And then you know the other other side, and this is so real. You know, where, where girls have this secret fear of, well, they have to get married. You know, yeah. we know one of the one of the ch- challenges in the Jewish community that quote unquote Shidduch crisis, and every it's not a secret <laughs> that it's a you know that the women are just just the realities, right? This they are a um, misbalance, yeah, the, exactly, the misbalance and 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 the girls are scared, and that is potentially so imbalancing and, and worrisome and sets them off their instability come yeah yeah so that's a that's i mean Definitely more than two here, <laughs> but these are some of the big ones. Right.
0: So what, what's your age? So what's your advice to the young men, the young lady, maybe not so young, the boys, the girls, the men, the women, when it comes to these fears? Because that's, that's a lot of fears. Yeah. How do you go through this process and how do you go through in a healthy way, given that there are so many valid concerns that one could have? Well, the first thing is we got to normalize.
2: Like if you're nervous and scared, like, yeah. Like there'd be something wrong with you. You've never done this before. Yeah, you know, this is like everyone and anyone would be nervous and and, and and you know a little bit scared. That's the first thing to, to, to remember. Second, I would say improve yourself, work on yourself. We're so focused. People are so focused. Like, are they good enough? What about this and that? And they have so many questions, you know, like we all have heard about these endless amount of questions about other people. I'm not saying you shouldn't check out a potential mate, soulmate. For sure you should. But look in the mirror, you know, like we need to improve ourselves, and the greater we are, the better our relationships are going to be. That is so important, and it's one of the pushbacks I, I, I meet people. I mean, between my office and you know my my morning job at A- at Torah, I mean, I'm dealing with people who want to get married. Very often, I will challenge them and say. You know, they say, oh, so, so how do I find the right one? I'm like, well, are you the right one? You know, like how much time and how much effort have you put in to developing yourself as a, as a person? It's so important. It's so important. So, uh, it, you know, getting back to the actual dating experience, be honest. This is This is really important. The dumbest people are people who try to put on a show. And I, I really use that word because... It's like people say, oh, I, oh I, you know, I here I am, you know, I'm a tzaddik, you know, I'm a real tzaddik, and they, and they kind of like they they get the girl, and they tricked her, they put, you know, they fooled her, and and then she said, and then she married him, and then what? Like, wow, you really got her, you know, you're you're so you're so silly because what? She's going to be unhappy, and then how happy are you going to be? Like, you got her, you know, now she's going to find out that I actually have like a lifetime prescription to you know to, to Netflix, you know, ha. I, I really got you. Yeah, you know, like it sounds like
0: a sonic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like the next day it's late. Like yeah, yeah, you're, you're it's a dummy. Day. It's not yeah, yeah. The Who, next
2: you, day. who are you fooling? It's it's just be honest, be honest with who you are, be honest with what you do, be honest with who you want, be honest with where you're going. And be that's, yourself. Be yourself. That's it. Be yourself. In addition, I, I my advice is to slow down. There's so much pressure, so much pressure from so many from parents, from rabbim and teachers. It's in my hum, very humble little experience. It's a mistake. What? Why you? Why are we people being pressured into the single most impactful decision of their lifetime, which will? Utterly shape whether they'll be happy or not, and whether their children will be happy or not. It, 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 it's it's rash. It's a mistake, right? Don't 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 pressure yourself, and don't allow yourself to be pressured by other people. When people are, are not calm, they and are relaxed. They, they cannot make a clear decision. <laughs> when I it's like a game show. Like, you go okay, three seconds, three. You're like you just you just guess. Like what, what are you doing that for? Like you, you, right, you don't have peace of mind to be able to think clearly about what you want, and you miss things. You miss things. Um, and if, and finally, of course, try your best. Let God do the rest. I mean, God, what did Chazal say? Everyone has a, there's a baskel, Everyone has a shidduch, right? So be true to yourself. Don't jump to get engaged just because you're scared. You're not going to get married, you know? Um, and, and, and trust that Hashem has a, and has a zivug waiting
0: for you. And he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Very he good. So let's move over to marriage. It seems like there is a lot of, pressure, tension, et cetera, fear, concerns going into marriage. But how about once you're married already, we should be more comfortable at that point, I would think. But what are the big fears in marriage? And again, is it different for men and women?
2: Yeah. I think one of the fears is uh, fear of failing. Fear of, in marriage. Yeah. Fear of failure. I, I, am, am I, am I going to be, you know, am I doing this right? You know, very often people very quickly uh, realize like, oh my gosh, this is,
4: this is hard. You know Not what
2: I expect? Yeah. Yeah. People think like marriages, like just, you know, it's like a, just a fun and games. People truly think that like, oh, it's going to be amazing. And it's one of my first things I tell people in audiences when I speak. I'm like, Hey guys, I got news. He goes, what's that? He goes, L- listen, uh, marriage brings out the worst in you. They'll like, what? Did I buy the right workshop here? Like, Yeah. Yeah, here's the reality. Like, you are going to be tested. And you thought you would have such an easy, great time. That's true, because you're like, it's like playing level one Nintendo. You're like, I'm doing amazing. I got like, three extra lives. You're like, yeah, because you're in Yeshiva and if you don't like your roommate, you fire him and go to the next room. You're like, you don't got any problems. You're not challenged. We're not challenged. Marriage is about challenge, it's about, you know, attention, it's about being faced with someone else's life that you have to maneuver and work through. And, and you have to be a mensch right? That nothing wrong with that. That that's okay. That let's normalize that. Let's normalize the fact that marriage is going to be, uh, uh, you know, challenging and that's okay. It it doesn't mean it's it's going to destroy you to the country. It's just going to make you bigger and greater and overcome things that, you know, you have to overcome. Yes,
4: maybe
0: that's something that should be talked about more in marriage preparation. It seems that we get painted an amazing picture of everything's going to be great. He right. was just telling me this recently. He's and I was I told him it's, it's a lot of work. And he thought, but they always say in yeshiva that it's going to be the best once you get married. Yes. That's the solution to everything. Yes. It's going to be the best because you're
2: going to become a better person right? If you play the game, you know, but, uh, it, it, you can, people like, feel like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And they just and tragically, and this breaks my heart the most. They just, they just run for the exit. Like, oh, ah, yeah. like, you know, I, I can't do this. Right. Or this is the, not, not the right one. You know, like I like to say how, how, how in the Rachel and Leah story that you mentioned before, you know, Rachel and Leah famously, Yaakov wakes up in the morning. He's like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm I married the wrong woman, right? I married, the wrong, I married the wrong woman. And this seems like the most insane, impossible, crazy, you know, like this is like the fairy tale story. And I say, uh, oh, my friend, this happens every single day. <laughs> every day. People get married like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what did I just do? Right? That's not because, that's not because you made a bad decision. No, that's just because this person is very different, a different gender a different background, a different family, a different, you know, a different, a different, she has her own story, a different person, different, different feelings. Different. So it's that, that, not bad. It's, you know, it is. Just being, it's not bad. I'm just being honest. Right. It's it, it, uh it makes it, And if you're ready to play the game and you're, and you're, you're ready to go all in, you're going to be great. You're going to be great. Um, another fear is um, besides the fear of failing, people are afraid that, uh, you know, that, that their, their own chasronas are going to be discovered. And it's one of the things I, I hear, like, people are going to, my my spouse is going to realize quote-unquote, the real me. She's going to discover the quote-unquote, truth about me, right? And, you know, they they might not like me, because, you know, until now, it was kind of like, oh, oh, sweet, but they get, I'll, I'll just give just one example that comes to mind. I had, I had this guy and it's, 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 it's heartbreaking, but this guy would really resist spending time with his wife. And his wife is crying. And I was like, I just just want to talk to him. I just want to go for a walk. I just want to like spend time. And, and what, you know, what emerges really, he is so nervous that he's boring. I've had this actually, I've had this exact story repeat itself many times, numerous times. I think I'm boring. I think I'm I feel like I my, my, my inner worry is that I'm so boring my wife's not gonna really like me. And she's so, thinking it's her. Yeah, exactly. And he's the issue. Yeah. And he and she and and, and when this comes at like, you know, when this comes becomes a discussion between the two of them, it's like Oh my goodness! I, I love, I love you for who you are. You know, I don't find you boring at all. He's like, really? You know, and like this is something that that, that you know, this is a real story I and mean, this is a real story. Is I some, like boring. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but his own his own fear, um, which holds him back, right, which is holding him back. I think that men in general, this is a little bit of a story, but there's truth to it, uh, are, you know, less emotional and and less comfortable with the, the the world of emotion. A woman lives in a, in a very emotional world. Um, and therefore sometimes men are scared of being feared. You know, I'm, I'm responding to the fears here that scared of emotional closeness, um, and uh, deep emotional feelings, which kind of they're added a little bit out of their depth and they're not sure what to do. And these can be very, very successful people, but like they've never done this before. Right. So, uh, that's, that's a fear. I think for women, um, I think that women, especially, just due to the nature of, you know, the, the, the be, being, being being a woman, is that they're, they're scared of being left and scared of being, you know, God forbid, their husband, you know, not taking care of it. Forbid, yeah, 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 not taking care of it, and God forbid, being divorced, you know. Um, so that's uh, these are some of the fears
0: that interesting, I, uh, interesting. So, what's your So We've had aitsas for those who are dating. What are your aitsas for those who are in marriage? And they're experiencing these fears. Yeah. So first of all, once again,
2: you're normal. You are normal. If you, you know that, that all, all you know, it, it, it's, 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 yeah, it, it's, it's okay to, uh, uh, you know, to, you're doing something new. Um, and this person's very different than you. Um, and, uh, that's, the, that's, that's the first thing. Second of all, she, she, she really does love you. I'm just speaking from a man's perspective. They, they didn't marry by accident. Like they, they went out with you. They went out with you. They, they they chose to marry you. Don't force them to marry you. They like you, right? Be be yourself. Be yourself. Um, uh, I, I like to say, and I, I, I find myself saying this in my office to, to couples. Love is found in the vulnerable space between people. Maybe one day I'll get rich from that line. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's got to happen somehow. Uh, love is found in the vulnerable space to, between people and it, it, you will see that if you just trust the love process and just tell it, just be honest, you know, I'm nervous. I'm scared. Uh, you know, this, something is bothering me. Like, yeah, and you will see that this, this, this spouse who, who hopefully loves you and maybe love commitment to you will, will embrace that and and protect you and help you and nourish you just like you will, if your spouse would say that to you, right? So um it's will be 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 real be real share don't hide don't hide just tell the truth you know about your inner world um in regards to all the differences you know look like i said before marriage is about differences and problem problem solving and, and expect the challenge and you know remember that millions and millions of people have done this before you have done this before you successfully right they they got through right so even dumb nitwits, you know, like people who like you think like they're the biggest, the world's biggest loser,
0: and they got married and stayed married. Like you, you can, you can do it. You can do it. Right, right. Very good. What would you say? I'm, I'm interested to hear. What's the common, most common issue you deal with in your practice? Hmm. I, I do a lot of work with.
2: Uh, hard to say exactly. I do a lot of work with marital training uh, specifically shown Is that by
0: pre-marriage or pre-, pre
2: and post. Well, mo- more post than pre, I'd love for it to be more pre than post, uh, simply because I could see so much. Save, more. Yeah. Save so many instead of undoing bad situations. I could try to help them before they, before they crash, you know? Um, but I do a lot of work trying to guide, uh, uh, couples, especially husbands, uh, in, uh, in what we would call, you know, in the, in the, in the yeshiva world, shalom bias, um, and really more specifically marital, marital intimacy, uh, do a lot of work with, uh, uh, uh physical intimacy and, and just helping people through it. You know, you spoke before, there are so many hangups, so many uh, challenges. And I would say if I, if I may, if I may here, if I have, the, if I have the mic, I, I'll say that this is one of the, I feel one of the, Big problems. Uh, you know, marriage is all about love, and love. You know, marriage is all about you know Being intimacy. One. Yeah, intimacy. And 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 there really are. There's no educational opportunities. You know, uh, in in our quote unquote the Orthodox Yeshiva world. I mean, you get you know it, traditionally you get like 45 minutes with some old rabbi who you're embarrassed to ask your questions to. You know, who might be like. Anyway, hard of hearing, you know, even if you could, and uh, and, and and like, and at the end, <laughs> and, that, and that's really at the end, like that, like there's no, there's nothing after, that. there's no follow up, and people are really guessing, and and if you don't have good models at home. For parents, and if you're exposed to the very distorted and unhealthy models uh, of social media. social media on, on, on TV and movies, you're really lost, and people are just really lost. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to see, and you know, that's what I spend a lot of time on trying to help people.
0: And Hassan and Halach classes—they're yeah. more focused on the Halachic side of thing, or at least well, just... way more
2: on the Halacha. Things are starting to change, where there's a little bit more in the hashkafa, But I think that even those people that you know—I think a lot of people talking are they themselves, unfortunately, are uncomfortable. Sad, sad, but true. <laughs> even people who, you know, many times I have to undo or redo. "Quote unquote, chassin or kala lessons that they, people were taught, and which is how sad is that, you know? Which is always more difficult to oh, teach. Way more complex. Listen, you know, this is not something you want to get started. Intimacy is not something you want to get started, and I won't. I mean, like, it's you know, people develop negative associations and patterns and very complicated. Right. And, and and I'd love to say that I can see it, you know, even in the first couple of years, unfortunately, sometimes this is 10, five, 10, 20 years, 20 years after people are married. It's, it is so such a shame. So, um,
0: the number one, number one thing you deal with. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, that, that, yeah. That's... so
2: that, that's, that's one of the things that I see a lot. And, and and I think it's for me personally, I think it's really one of the most rewarding things because I feel like it, it makes
0: such an impact.
2: Right. It's such an impact. Right.
0: Let's move over to Rabbi Dr. Epstein. Rabbi Epstein, you wrote the book. I mentioned it before Living in the Presence. Living in the Presence, a Jewish mindfulness guide to everyday life. That's quite a title. What's the book about? Who did you write it for?
1: And what does Jewish mindfulness mean? Thank you again, Rabari. Uh, again, I'm going to echo my colleagues here. What is to be a part of this unbelievable show, which is taking on some of the more challenging topics and doing it in such a sensitive and conscientious way. And what I'm seeing also, before I answer the question, is the introduction of spirituality into psychological uh, treatments. There's much more of an openness and a willingness where perhaps when we were being trained, the notion of bringing God into the therapy room was extremely taboo if not completely user and what we're seeing and I'm hearing from these unbelievable clinicians and conscientious extremely uh, caring teachers mechanchim, uh, and healers is that when you're working with Nishamas, when you're working with 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 amcha we have to bring the Rabboni, not always not always but if it can be therapeutically indicated to really tap into our traditions and the unbelievable depth of Chazal and and our own healing, we believe, Torah Sashem, Tamimah Meshivas Nafesh, the healing power of Torah. And so when you say, you know, what made you write the book is the the research is me-search, meaning learning about mindfulness techniques in graduate school and being hit over the head and saying, what does my... Spiritual tradition. What does what does Yadus have to to teach us about this? And it just opened my mind, saying, "I need this. I I needed this." So the the author, uh, you know, the, the excuse me, the audience of the book was me. The, the book was the aspirational. like This is the person who I want to be, and these are the models that I want to start to to learn from. Because we've been exposed to tremendous Talmidei and who know a lot of Torah. But they might not be able to give a good Eitzah because they're out of touch. And this is something that, that Rabbi Willig, Dr. Willig just, just, uh, alluded to of just saying, you could be a chasen, teaching chasen classes and be completely out of touch with intimacy. And so I've started exposing myself to, to, to real, um, tzaddikim and enlightened beings. Uh, people specifically, I started listening to Rav Moshe Weinberger when I was in graduate school, Shlita. And I can remember the moment when I started listening to his Menucha Sanefesh Yishuv Hadashur and suddenly everything clicked everything became illuminated because to be a, a Jew to be a Jew to be a person who is who is sensitive to the world around them is is to be connected is to be Davok hashem is to be Davukta. and the only way you can be to hashem is in this very moment we saw in Parshas yesro it says bayoma midbar sinai and rashi says Right. This is just a Rashi that we've read a hundred times. We have to experience Torah, right? Because if it would have said "bayomahu," that implies some day in the past. "Bayomaze," "bayomaze" means it's happening right now. That means that there is an obligation for us to believe that the Torah that we're learning right now, the Torah that we're living right now, and Torah isn't just, you know, the actual words. Torah is everything around us. That everything in our life could be through the lens of, of what is Hashem saying to me right now? What is happening in my life right now? So that I know that here, right now in this moment, Hakkadish Baruch who is speaking to each and every single one of us. And then try to envision what radical transformation would occur if we fully realize that precisely at this moment Hashem is speaking to me. And we believe in Nevua. Again, it's, it's for, uh, Katanim and some Shotim, but Dr. Freeman could, could speak. Maybe that's the next book, but. Because he's the Katan or the Shotim. Oh, he's always. <laughs> he, he is. I don't he, agree Again, with that. the mind of the Katan is, is, is the beginner's mind. No, but in, in all seriousness is that we we might not have nevuah, but Rav Salak says we have a Baskol. Meaning there, there's always things. And, and when Rabbi Willick said that, that you wake up with the person who's next to you, are like, this is the wrong person. He's like, no, this is the right person. There's a Baskol. Right? Do we always hear it? Are we sensitive to it? And we can always attach ourselves. How can it be Dabak to Hashem? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Eish Ocheles. be. can be, be Dabak to the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Mechadish B'Tuva Yom Right? We believe it. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is recreating the world at every single moment. And so if I want to be Dovok Hashem, I have to be fully present in this moment. And it's a skill and it's something that we need to train ourselves to be doing. But can we imagine what it would be like to be fully present in the relationships that we have? Uh, what was the quote you said about love? Love is found in the vulnerable space between people. Love is found in the vulnerable space between people. If I don't know how to be vulnerable. If I don't know what it's like to sit with my emotion, how can I experience love? because we're so averse to the negative emotions. So being mindful, learning how to be fully present in this moment and seeing that this too, this too is from Hashem. So then I could fully experience the full range of emotions and then I can really be connecting with people. So the idea of Jewish mindfulness is we, we don't just believe that the moment or like, you know, be here now and it's, it's, it's good because it's a stress reduction technique and there's so many things that we could be using therapeutically. But we also believe that the only way to be David Hashem is right now, in this very moment. And the definition of mindful. The definition of mindful meaning mindful is just to be paying attention. The the all the teachers of mindfulness of of, of, of Eastern philosophical religions, am I allowed to say the B word? Teachers. Yeah. teachers of teachers of Buddhism in the West, ready? Here's the Shava right? Everybody, what's the common denominator? Sharon Salzberg, Joseph Goldstein, Jack Cornfield, Sylvia Burstein, John Kabat-Zinn, Tara Brock, all of my all of my teachers from like graduate school. What's the Sada Shavashabahen? They're all Jews. All the great teachers of Buddhism in the West, they're all Yiddin. Because they had this desire to connect and they weren't exposed to Shlomo Karbach. They weren't exposed to the Babacharebi. They didn't have the opportunity to be connected to their own spiritual heritage and tradition. And are, you know, I'm surrounded by these unbelievable uh, healers. And our job is to say, wait a second, wait a second, my fellow Jew. You have a meditative tradition. We just celebrated a few weeks ago the Yortset over of Rav Ari Kaplan's Atzal, whose book, Jewish Meditation, changed everything for me. Because suddenly meditation isn't a dirty word. Meditation is, you look at the first Mishnah in the fifth paragraph of Brachos. and it said, rishonim What do you think they were doing? They were checking Twitter. They were checking their stuff. They were meditating. They were meditating for an hour, and then they were davening for an hour, and then they were integrating that sphila for an hour. And we can't sit for 30 seconds. We can't sit for 10 seconds. Mamish without being checking out a safer. Mamish, just sit, just sit the whole yisod of Shabbos. We just read recently. The pasuk says, "Al Ishme Don't go anywhere. There's nowhere for you to go. Just be here. I was just on the phone with my my dear friend and, and clinical supervisor of Judah Michelle. Rajudah Michelle and he reminded me of a story that, uh, a chassid went to the Rebbe, and he was already like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be here. But they, they, mostly Shabbos. I already gotta, I already gotta get out of here beforehand. And so, you know what? I'm just gonna book out of here. Right, right after Shabbos is over. And he gets there for Shabbos, and the Rebbe was being really, he was cold to him. The Rebbe is usually so happy, he gives him a big kiss, he gives a big Rabbi Willich type of kiss, you know, it's like, good to see you, Rabbi simple Willich Shlita. Right? And he's, and he goes over to him, and, and he's just getting the real bad vibes. And he says, Rebbe, what's up? You know, I haven't been here in so long, but like, I thought you'd get a little bit more. He said, a chassid who can't be here till the end of the Shabbos doesn't need to be here at all. He says, Rebbe, I'm fully here. I'm present. I'm back. And he says, I'm going to stay. So at the Shalashut Torah, the Rebbe said, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Come up to me in the mountain. Be there. Where's he supposed to be? We said there's sometimes a chassid can come to the rebbe, and he's already planning to get out of there. We can be doing all of our avodas Hashem, and we're not there. We're not present. We're already moving on. Daf yoimi, moving on to the next one. Moving davening. Davening. Tell me about davening. We daven mincha together. It's like getting it over with. Getting you're getting back to the relationship. Get the whole point of davening is to stop mincha. Is my mindfulness meditation of just you're stopping in the middle of the day. And if you're Zohar to be with us at 120, and that's all Israel, you'll see me and Rabbi Wasserman. And hey, just stop in the and I guarantee you, I don't have anywhere else to be, but I know you've got somewhere else to be. You've got somewhere else to be. Right? I'm stopping right now and I'm committing to this relationship. And I'm just being here. Did you have a good mincha? I don't even know what that means. Did I say the words and was I fully present with my headache? With my, oh my goodness, I forgot to tell the client this. I've got to pick this up. With all of that, can I pause in the middle of the day and be mitchaber? Because that's the esot of mindfulness. Can I be fully mitchaber to this moment so I can fully be mitchaber to who I really am, that vulnerability of being honest, and then I can finally start to be connected to you, and you, and you. So give us
0: some more tangible examples. Davening was great. More examples that we can incorporate into our everyday.
1: You wear strings. You wear strings. Sitzes. Oh, sitzes. That's what they're called. They're sitzes, right? The the, the, the Zohar says the the word for for mitzvos is miloshem saptah, you not know, sapta, You know, saptah Grab. rabba or grandma, grandma. Saptah milash It's connection. Every single mitzvah is a way to connect. We might not always be able to see it. Like eating milk and milk, I don't know. It, I know it's 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 doing something. But this is supposed to be urisimos. I'm supposed to see them. I'm supposed to take a pause every single time I'm wearing a yarmulke yari maka, that I'm supposed to have. Every single time I make a bracha, I, 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 if, if you ever see, you know, watching somebody who's, 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 who's not yet observant or somebody who's not Jewish and they put food in their mouth, you cringe, right? You're just like, whoa, because we take a moment to just think about the fact that Hashem created a world. And the makubalim are bringing it all the way back to my Sebratius. Before Hashem even created the world, we're connecting to that. So again, we're trying to always be present. And isn't that what we always want from the people who we love? We just want people in the relationship that we're in to know that they're listening to us. To know that they see us. right? Hashem wants to know that He sees us also. But And here are the mitzvahs to do it. So you can connect to what I want from you. So
0: let's apply these concepts mindfulness to fear anxiety etc as a doctor how do you use mindfulness to treat a patient who comes in and is having feelings of anxiety nervousness fears concerns
1: how do we sit them down and say this is going to get you to where you need to be so there are a lot of cognitive techniques but there's been a shift to more we'll call them the third wave and this is i'm i'm being uh you know, I'm not path to show am pots getting in front of my Rebbe over here. This is not my this, right. this, this is it. But and correct me if I'm wrong here. Anxiety is by definition anticipatory. Meaning if you're anxious about something, it's about something that is yet to happen. And mindfulness by definition is being fully present in this moment. So they can't work together. They're, they're a stira. It's just like you can't be grateful and depressed at the same time. If you're experiencing gratitude, you're not depressed. It's just it's just a stira. It doesn't work. So how would we do that? We would learn mindfulness skills, which is often meditation. But also you could be doing anything mindfully because the working definition that we have from, from John Kabat-Zinn is paying attention non-judgmentally in the present moment. And he adds, as if your life depended on it. And if we want to look in the Kutamaran, he'll say, Hayom that a person's obligation is just be focusing on this task right now. Or if you ask, uh, I think it's from the Donogone maybe, where, you know, what's the most important blot in Gemara? That's the most important mesecta in the Gemara, right? It's the mesecta that you're learning right now, or you ask the Balatanya. You know, you got to be more contemporary. You got to be living with times. He's like, yeah. Last week I was learning Parshas Noach, and this week I'm learning Parshas Lech because the Baruch Hu is speaking to us at all times. We can't always hear the messages because there's a lot of noise. So what we're trying to do with the mindfulness practices is to just quiet the noise, get really quiet. Back to the word of intimacy, because maybe I'm boring, right? That's a thought. Notice the thoughts. You are not your thoughts. Who are you? I don't know. you got to speak to bigger, bigger uh, mental health professionals than I am. But we're so often caught. Would you be surprised if I told you that most of the stories that you come up with in your head are not true? Would that be a chiddish to you? That the stories you make up in your head because you cannot tolerate any sort of lack of knowledge? And guess what? You don't know. Most of us going through life is, I don't know. There is there is one thing that's vadai. Right? Havaday vadai shmo kentilasav. kodesh is running the show. And your obligation is to say, "I don't know," but here's here's how I'm going to try. I'm going to keep trying. And this is what mindfulness brings in hope. Mindfulness brings in trust. Mindfulness brings in not striving. That you know, I don't have to try so hard. So much of the shiduchim. I've had people come at me, and people who are long de Torah, and I've had the audacity to say. You know, because of this, Shiruchan is asking for this question, it's mamish. It sounds like it's a merger. And I say, at what point did you think about the Ribbon Shalom? And I say it very quietly, because I say without, you know, because I think the person would want to hear it. At what point did the Ribbon Shalom enter this equation? And there's always quiet. We forgot about it. again it's 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 a hesa Again, In alm Khotah roach sh'tus. <laughs> What you lose yourself, you get it back, but we're often lost in our thoughts. We're lost in our minds. I don't have to convince anyone here that most of us have made tremendous mistakes, assuming something that wasn't even remotely true. So again, with anxiety, you're thinking about something that could potentially be true, but it's an anxiety thought. And I treat it as a thought. The thought is not true. I, it's again, it's such a subtle shift. I am a loser. I just had the thought that I'm a loser. Ah. I just had the thought that this terrible thing is going to happen. It might. No one's gonna tell you, no one's gonna give you any promises. But if I start to relate to my thoughts as mitzias, as the reality, that I'm trapped. Right. right. We're just getting out of Egypt. Everything about Egypt is you're in your constricted mindset because you're believing whatever your thoughts, your mind is coming up with. And then someone says, I ah, the Bal says you are where your thoughts are. That's where you're focusing your thoughts. But the stam thought, any mashkiach in Yeshiva, right? You go to the mashkiach and say mashkiach. I, in the middle I had this very like weird thought it popped in my head. What would Mashkiach say? Ignore it. What are you getting stuck? Where are you getting? Now again, if a person has obsessive compulsive disorder, you wouldn't be able to do that right away. But with a even by the Balshemtov, he said. His me the master, They said the How do we know this guy's on the level? They said this guy in the town over there. They they, they heard he's he's a tzaddik. He's a baal How do we know he's on the level? He says. Ask him a simple question. How do we get rid of zaros? How do we get rid of our Bilboim? And if he gives you an Eitzah, he's a charlatan. Right? You can't get rid of them. Our job isn't to get rid of them. Our job is to learn how to be Mitmoded. And everything in my therapy sessions come back to Shivisi Adonai lenegdi Savid. Right? I place God in front of me. No, Shivisi is from Mosul hishtavos. I'm balanced. Everything that's coming I don't get too high. I don't get too low. Why? Because Havaya lenegi Talmid. Havaya Yud Hey Vav and Existence. Hoya Hovev It's all happening right now, and we're getting the Torah right now. There's the Torah of twenty twenty four, right? Of of Shvat and other. Yeah, beautiful,
0: terrific. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us. This has been tremendous, uh, illuminating, fascinating, interesting. Dr. Friedman, Rabbi Willig, Dr. Epstein, I look forward to next time. We've never had three together, and this has been terrific. It's, it's easy if there's visual, but we're just audio still. The headlines are still in the uh, 20th century. So Amir Tashem will get into, I don't know what century it is right now, 21st century, whatever it is right now. We'll get there eventually, but I think this was unbelievably reflective, and I want to thank all of you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Shalom Aleichem, this is Ari Wasserman taking back the microphone for our recap, wrap-up, and also hopefully some takeaways that we can incorporate into our lives. Our topic of the day is getting over our fears, not only fears, but anxieties, worries, and stress. Stresses, we have so many. And we talked... Generally, about mental health, but we also focused on some specific verticals, for example, dating, marriage. These are fears in dating and marriage, and also in religious observance. The show was divided into the first half. We had a halachic discussion. It was a very broad discussion on mental health. It wasn't only on fears and anxieties. We started on mental health in general, but we did get to some specifics. For example, can anxiety, can OCD act as an exemption to mitzvahs? And then a specific question about, nails and cuticles biting on Shabbos, because that apparently is exhibiting some anxiety or significant anxiety. So we had some interesting, fascinating discussion on that. I just do want to focus on two takeaways from the first half of the show. Number one, which was a real lesson for me, Rabbi Yitzhak Schwartz saying, in order to answer halachic questions on the mental health, we need a therapist, a very insightful therapist, participate in the conversation, and it was very clear that the interplay between Rabbi Schwartz and Dr. Friedman was absolutely critical. Each of them had what to say, and each of them was necessary in order to achieve responses to the halachic question. So that was a real musa, a real lesson to me, and that would apply in other areas as well. If we have halachic Shilas relating to business law, workplace law, and many other areas, it would be incumbent upon the POSIC to make sure to have the requisite information and facts in order to posk in the shy So to me, that was takeaway number one, a very important lesson. Takeaway number two, very important discussion that mental health, when somebody is having an issue, it's not about convincing them to do otherwise. If somebody is stressed, we can't simply tell them, don't be stressed. If it's regular stress, yes, but if somebody is having an anxiety attack, if somebody is OCD, we can't simply tell them, don't do X, Y, and Z, don't wash your hands so many times, don't do that. It has to be dealt with because it's not simply a matter of convincing the individual. It's not a matter of mental health. Mental health is physical health because the organ that is sick is the brain. That is the organ of organs in our body, and it needs to be treated accordingly. So when we call it mental health, it's really physical health. It's not simply mental health that we can try to convince somebody to go in another direction that their brain is telling them not to go in. When it comes to the second part of the show, what was very salient to me is that we had three therapists, three mental health professionals who had tremendous respect for one another. That came across very clearly and I thought it was beautiful. Also, each of them have their domain expertise and they each help the others in understanding their areas and it really leads to a fuller comprehension of the whole topic that we're discussing. Just some specifics because we did have some solutions. We have worries, we have anxieties, we have pain. We have stresses and some of the solutions that came out of it, and there are many more available out there, but some that we heard about today. Number one, Rabbi Epstein, Dr. Epstein spoke about So many times when we have fears, they are stories that are in our heads. In other words, we've created them. And sometimes, oftentimes, the fears are simply made up. I will add on that also sometimes it's the fear of the unknown. The unknown is very scary. And if we have something that's unknown that we're scared about, the best thing to try to do is to get the facts. So it's something that's not unknown. And oftentimes, even if it's bad news, But bad news is going to be better than the fear of the unknown. So that's at a very important point, very important takeaway. Number one, the fears that we have, are they just stories in our head or is there really something to be scared about? I just want to play a quick clip from a former Navy SEAL. This is someone who was dealing with fears and stresses all of the time. And this is how he tells us to get over our fears.
4: The first thing you've got to realize is that most of the fear that you have isn't a reality. It's just built up in your head. So what you need to do to overcome your fear is to go and face it, go and look at it, go on the attack, move towards it. That's what you need to do if you're afraid of something. Don't hide from it. The more you hide from it, the bigger it gets, the scarier it gets. Don't allow that to happen. Instead, confront it, face it, and get after
0: it. Point number two comes from Rabbi Willick. We had, a, to me, a fascinating conversation of the fears relating to dating and also then we discussed marriage. And for both of them, I asked him, so how do you deal with these things? And he says, you have to normalize these fears. You have to normalize the fears in dating and marriage. What does that mean to normalize? It means we have to realize that oftentimes these fears that we have are normal emotions. And if we can realize that they are normal. These are normal fears. These are normal things to be stressed about. That goes a far way. There are plenty of reasons to have fears. There are plenty of reasons to have concerns and feel stressed. But if we can internalize it, that this is a normal thing, then that should give us the courage necessary to keep on moving forward and to deal with those fears and stresses. In fact, here is a quote from Dr. Jordan Peterson that discusses exactly that.
5: The clinical literature on this is very, very, very clear. What you do with people who are afraid, and and to some degree depressed, but certainly anxious, is you lay out what they're anxious about, first of all, in detail, what is it that you're afraid of, what might happen, and then you decompose it into small problems, hypothetically manageable problems, and then you have the person expose themselves to the thing that they're afraid of and and what happens isn't that they get less afraid that isn't what the clinical literature indicates exactly what happens instead is they get braver and that's not the same thing right because if you get less afraid it's like well the world isn't as dangerous as i thought it was you know silly me if you get braver, that's not what happens. What happens is, yeah, the world world's just as dangerous as I thought, or maybe it's even more dangerous than I thought, but it turns out that there's something in me that responds to taking that on as a voluntary challenge and grows and thrives as a consequence. And... Thought or solution number three,
0: as we spoke about with Dr. Friedman, is speak with someone with experience. If you're really feeling stress, anxiety, and you're not able to normalize it, if you're not able to come to grips with it, speak with someone, but it should be someone with experience, it should be somebody who is a professional, it can be a wise friend. I oftentimes uh, hear about young people who are dating and the people that they consult with is a friend, they consult with their friends, is this a problem, this girl does this or this girl does that. or the girl discusses with her friends, the boy, I'm not sure, I have this concern and that concern and the friends have zero experience in dating and even when they think they do, they don't. You need to consult with someone who is wise, who has experience, who cannot lead you in the wrong direction. Number four, mindfulness, as discussed and written about by Rabbi Dr. Epstein, focus on what I am doing right now, not on the fears of the future. If I am involved in a mitzvah, in my davening, focus on it. Be mindful of what you are involved in today. Right now, have kavana, have focus, and don't let your mind wander about everything else that is going on, every potential fear, every potential anxiety. Let's focus on what we have to do right now. In fact, there's an interesting halach that's just a detail, but it really represents this. There is a gemara in bracha, staf nun aleph that tells us, asara dvarim Namru b'kosh There are ten things that are said about a kos shabracha. According to Shofanarach, kos shabracha is inclusive not only when we say, Birkas benching on a cup of wine, but also our kiddish. Kiddish is a kosho brach. And number 10 on the list, number 10 on the list of 10 things that were said about a kosho brach, including when we say kiddish, is no sen, enavba, look at the cup, look at the cup. And based on the Gemara, why should we be looking at the kiddish cup with the wine in it? So we should focus on it, so we don't have a hesach Dasa. we shouldn't be looking here and there and everywhere except the cup that we are saying the bracha, and in fact, a similar concept, the Ramah, in Urachaim, Reish Ayin Aleph Sif Yud, says that there's a halacha concept, a minag, that at the beginning of the Kiddush, we should look at the neiros, we should look at the candles that were lit for Shabbos, what's the concept, somehow it Fixes our vision. What does that mean? I'm looking now in a Rav Rimon Safer on Shabbos. Rav Rimon, Rav Yosseti Rimon was on the show a couple shows ago. And he says, his explanation is a beautiful explanation. He says, what's going on here is that the candles represent Kedusha holiness. It represents Shalom Bayis. It represents tranquility. And accordingly, when we look at those candles, it adjusts our seeing, which means it adjusts our perspective on things. And it will acclimate us to looking at things in a positive way, looking at the good. So look at those candles. Think about what they represent. And that will improve our perspective. In fact, he goes a step further and says, it shouldn't be only the person who's saying the Kiddush that should be looking at the Nehruz, at the candles in advance of the Kiddush, but tell everyone in your household, everyone, let's look at the candles and accordingly, let Kabbel or tov on Nehruz. You should get the beautiful light from the candles, both physically and metaphysically and spiritually. This is the or Orshel kedushas. this is the light of holiness. This is what will improve how we look, our perspectives in life. So that is the concept of mindfulness. Mindfulness, in fact, a quick Dvar in that regard. In this week's Parsha, Parshas, Mishpatim, there is a concept, a statement, Alakha, that talks about if somebody has a slave. It's talking about a Canaanite slave, an Nani, And it says that if a master kills a slave, he is responsible. That master is responsible. He's going to be put to death. However, this is in... Shmos pasuk however, if that slave gets up for a day or two days, and he's able to function, he doesn't die immediately, lo yakum ki kasbahu, the owner shall not be avenged, he shall not be put to death, because that is your asset. There is a drush on this. That's the pshat, that's what the pasuk says. The Rebbe Rabbonimip says a drush on this pasuk. Doesn't relate at all to what the pshat is, a total drush on the psas, pasuk. Very interesting. He says all year round. We daven, and we do it quickly. We don't pay attention to what we're doing. We just daven, fly through it. Our minds are elsewhere. However, even if one day a year, im yom, one day a year, that's the Passover. Oh, you might two days a year. If it's one day a year, it's talking about Yom Kippur. And if it's talking Tuesday this year, talking about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Even if we put our heads in the game, we focus on our davening during the Yom Im Nonetheless, Lo, you come? That is not going to be helpful. That is not going to work because if we're only focusing on our davening during Yomim Noraim comes Rosh Hashanah comes Yib, Yom Kippur and suddenly we're able to focus on our davening, that's not going to work at all. Why? Because truth be told, even if you're paying attention, you're only focusing on yourself. You're only focusing on your parnasa. You're davening Give me money. Give me money. Give me a parnasa. Give me a lot of wealth. And if that's the case, that is not going to be an effective davening for us. Why do we need? We need mindfulness. We need Kavana all year round. And the last point, we've gone through four points, four solutions. The last one is, if we're not successful in points one, two, three, and four, there are definitively times that treatment would be warranted. For example, if somebody has clinical anxiety or some other diagnosable mental health issue, Dr. Jacob Friedman told us, go to a licensed professional, make sure they're good, a licensed professional. And Amir Chassam, that will help us. We have five points and there's so many more out there. How to handle our stresses, our fears, how to get over them. Hopefully, we'll all be successful because this is something that all of us, each of us, constantly has to deal with.